Good morning. Today's Sunday, August 6th, 2023, and this is 5 at 8 with your hosts Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman. In this episode, we will talk about India's latest moon mission, Chandrayaan-3, successfully entering the lunar orbit. We'll also discuss the Russian attack on a blood transfusion center in Ukraine, Germany's struggling economy, the widespread flooding in East Asia caused by Typhoon Doksuri, and Iran equipping its Revolutionary Guards Navy with drones and long-range missiles amidst escalating tensions with the United States in the Strait of Hormuz. Story number one. India's latest moon mission, Chandrayaan-3, has successfully entered the lunar orbit, as reported by the BBC. The spacecraft, consisting of an orbiter, lander, and rover, aims to land near the moon's south pole on 23 or the 24th of August. If successful, India will become the fourth country to achieve a soft landing on the moon. The mission builds upon the success of India's previous lunar explorations, including the discovery of water molecules on the moon's surface. The spacecraft will gather data and images to study the moon's physical characteristics, atmosphere, and tectonic activity. The little explored South Pole holds potential for discovering water in permanently shadowed areas. Is it not an amazing feat, Linda? Chandrayaan-3, India's latest moon mission, has successfully entered the lunar orbit, aiming for a landing on the moon's South Pole. If they pull it off, India will be the first country to land there. It's not just a testament to the determination and technological prowess of India, but also a big leap for humanity's collective understanding of the lunar surface. This mission, particularly its focus on the lesser explored south pole of the moon, could unlock new information about the moon's physical characteristics, atmosphere, and even tectonic activity. It's fascinating to think about how this kind of exploration expands our collective knowledge and, potentially, the possibilities for future space travel. Right, Linda. And you know what's phenomenal is India's perseverance. The previous mission, Chandrayaan-2, was only partially successful. But they didn't let that stop them. They learned from it, fixed the glitches, and now they're back in the game stronger than ever. That's the spirit of exploration, isn't it? You stumble, you learn, you improve, and you keep going. Very well said, Mark. That spirit of exploration and learning is indeed crucial. I also appreciate the global interest this has sparked. Space exploration has often been seen as a competition, but maybe it's time we view it more as a shared endeavor, a collective quest for knowledge and understanding. The moon, as it has been described, is our gateway to deep space. I wonder what secrets it holds, and how those discoveries could reshape our perceptions. Couldn't agree more, Linda. It's high time we see space exploration as a collective endeavor. After all, the universe is our shared heritage. And who knows, maybe the Chandrayaan-3 mission will be one small step for India, but a giant leap for mankind. Story number two. Russian forces have attacked a blood transfusion center in Ukraine, as reported by The Guardian. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky condemned the strike as a war crime. This attack comes after Ukraine hit a Russian tanker in the Kerch Strait. Russia has vowed retaliation for the strike on the tanker. There have also been reports of explosions and missile attacks in various Ukrainian cities, with air alerts issued. Zelensky has promised to continue efforts to clean up corruption in state institutions. Talks are underway in Saudi Arabia to find a peaceful resolution to the conflict. 
Tell you what, Linda, this news about Russia hitting the blood transfusion center in Ukraine, it's just dot 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 IT quote S horrifying. Using an aerial bomb to target a medical facility like that is just grossly inhuman. It's like we're back in the dark ages. It's deeply troubling. And President Zelensky's condemnation of this strike as a war crime brings to the forefront a significant topic. The whole concept of war crimes has been a contentious issue for many modern conflicts, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at the Syria situation or even Yemen. Similar accusations have been thrown around. It's like this cycle of violence and inhumanity keeps repeating itself. It quote S dot 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 IT quote S just plain maddening. Agreed, Mark. It's a continuous cycle indeed. What's more crucial, though, is understanding what these war crimes constitute. They're serious violations of the laws of war, designed to protect civilians and those who are no longer participating in the hostilities, like the wounded, sick, or prisoners of war. Yeah, and it's not just about what we think is right or wrong, Linda. There's an international legal framework for this, right? The Geneva Conventions, the Rome Statute, they all define war crimes. But the real question is, who determines when a war crime has been committed, and what happens to those responsible? That's an excellent point. These determinations often come from established international bodies, like the International Criminal Court or the United Nations, but there are always complications. For instance, the geopolitical dynamics, or the fact that not all countries are signatories to these agreements, like the US and Russia, for instance, are not part of the ICC. Oh yeah, it's a tough situation. And we've seen in history, even when these war crimes are established, getting the culprits to actually face the music, that's a whole different ballgame. The wheels of justice, they turn slow, don't they, Linda? They do, Mark, they do. And in the meantime, innocent lives continue to be lost, and the world grapples with these atrocities. I think the critical discourse here is about the effectiveness of these international governing bodies the concept of justice in the face of such grave violations, and how the international community can come together to prevent such incidents. It's a complex issue that demands our attention and thoughtful action. Story number three. Recent figures indicate that Germany's economy, once described as an industrial powerhouse and export world champion, is now stuck in a recession. According to The Guardian, Economists are closely watching Germany's July inflation figure, which is forecasted to be 6.2%, and industrial production figures for June to gain insight into the state of the nation's manufacturing backbone. Germany's stagnant growth and high inflation have led to what economists are calling a slow session, with the economy being stuck between stagnation and recession. The German government is being urged to introduce a reform agenda to address the situation, but there is little appetite for an economic stimulus package due to concerns about further fueling inflation. While there have been some positive trends in private consumption and investment, the overall economic outlook remains uncertain. Where do we even start, Linda? Germany's economy, which has always been a powerhouse, is now hitting a rough patch. It's like watching a marathon runner hit a wall. The slow session, as they're calling it, is a sign that the great economic engine of Europe is stalling. It certainly is a conundrum, Mark. With the year-on-year -year consumer prices index coming in at 6.2%, inflation definitely seems to be a significant factor in this economic slowdown. The stagnation in growth combined with rising prices has left many households tightening their belts. Uh, it's like a one-two punch. 
Inflation is eroding people's purchasing power, and that's not good for the economy. And then we have the manufacturing backbone of Germany, the automakers and the middle stand, also feeling the pinch. It's a tough spot for Germany to be in. That's true, Mark. But it's not all doom and gloom. The labor market seems to be holding up well with an unemployment rate of 5.6% in July. And we have some surprising data on factory orders which showed a big jump. It's like finding a silver lining in a cloudy sky. You're right. It's like a glimmer of hope. But to get out of this slow session, it's going to take more than just a few positive signs. There's a need for a solid reform agenda. It's like needing a game plan to break out of a losing streak. Mark, I couldn't agree more. We need a long-term vision that focuses not just on immediate relief, but on sustainable growth. And I think it's important to remember that while we discuss these economic indicators, it's ultimately about the people, their livelihoods, their dreams, their futures. It's not just about the numbers, it's about lives. Story number four. Torrential rain and fierce winds from Typhoon Doksuri have caused widespread flooding in East Asia, particularly in China and the Philippines. According to the BBC, Beijing has experienced record-breaking rainfall, leading to the evacuation of millions of people. The floods have caused significant damage to infrastructure and resulted in the deaths of at least 10 people, with 18 still missing. The region is also under threat from Typhoon Kanun, which could exacerbate the situation. Additionally, India has been hit by heavy monsoon rains, causing flooding and landslides that have claimed nearly 100 lives. This is one of those news pieces that really shakes you up, Linda. The sheer severity of the recent typhoons in East Asia, it's hard to wrap your head around it. With the massive destruction in China and the Philippines, not to mention Japan, it really makes you wonder, doesn't it? What's causing such drastic weather changes? Absolutely. It's definitely alarming. In fact, many scientists believe that these extreme weather events are likely linked to climate change. You see, as global temperatures rise, the atmosphere can hold more moisture, leading to more intense rainfall. This, coupled with rising sea levels, can exacerbate the impact of typhoons and other tropical storms. Right. The whole warming planet thing. It's crazy to think that our actions as humans might be contributing to these disasters. And it's not just the property damage, is it? This storm has claimed lives, displaced people. It's a human tragedy. The human toll of these disasters can't be underestimated. Millions have been evacuated, and unfortunately, many have lost their lives. And while it's important to focus on immediate disaster relief, we also need to think about longer-term impacts. For instance, these extreme weather events can have serious implications for local economies and public health. Yeah, I can see that. The disruption of businesses, the loss of work. And I can only imagine the strain on healthcare facilities, especially amidst a pandemic. But what can be done, Linda? How can these countries, or any country for that matter, prepare for such unpredictable and devastating events? That's an excellent question, Mark. It's a complex issue, but there are strategies that can be put into place. For instance, Improving early warning systems and disaster preparedness can help minimize loss of life and property. Infrastructure can be designed or modified to be more resilient to extreme weather events. And on a larger scale, we need to work on reducing greenhouse gas emissions to mitigate the effects of climate change. It's a daunting task, but it's crucial for the survival of our planet. Story number five. 
Iran has equipped its Revolutionary Guards Navy with drones and long-range missiles, as reported by Al Jazeera, as tensions with the United States in the Strait of Hormuz continue to escalate. This move comes after the U.S. military announced its consideration of placing armed personnel on commercial ships in the Strait to prevent Iran from seizing civilian vessels. Iranian Armed Forces spokesperson Brigadier General Abul Fazl Shekarchi questioned the presence of U.S. guards in the region, stating that the countries in the area are fully capable of defending their own waters. Revolutionary Guards Navy Commander Ali Reza Tangsiri, as stated by Al Jazeera, highlighted the improved precision and longer range of the newly acquired missiles. Iran has previously seized ships in the Strait as part of its efforts to pressure the West over negotiations regarding its collapsed nuclear deal. The potential deployment of U.S. troops on commercial ships would represent a significant commitment in the Middle East, as the U.S. focuses on Russia and China. So, the Strait of Hormuz is heating up again. The Iranians equipping their Revolutionary Guards Navy with drones and long-range missiles. This is definitely a show of force. Historically, this region has been a pressure cooker, with one-fifth of the world's oil passing through it. But the addition of this kind of advanced military technology it's a game-changer. Yes, Mark. While Iran's move is undoubtedly a strategic power play, it does raise concerns about the escalation of tensions in such a sensitive region. It's interesting to note that during the tanker war in the 80s, the U.S. didn't even take the step of putting troops on commercial ships. So this contemplated move shows a significant shift in strategy. Right you are, Linda. And I think it's worth mentioning the broader geopolitical context here. The U.S. military is trying to juggle their commitments in the Middle East with the perceived threat from Russia and China. It's like they're caught between a rock and a hard place. But the question here is, does this military escalation help or hinder the negotiation process about the collapsed nuclear deal? That's a complex question, Mark. There's a school of thought that believes such shows of strength can bring parties to the negotiating table. But on the flip side, it could also harden positions and push a peaceful resolution further away. It's also worth considering the implications for global oil supplies and prices if this situation continues to escalate. Think about it. Any disruption in the Strait of Hormuz could potentially cause a spike in global oil prices, affecting economies worldwide. And it's not just about oil. These standoffs in strategic locations, they are becoming more common, aren't they? And technology, be it drones or cyber warfare, is increasingly shaping these interactions. There are parallels to be drawn with other conflict hotspots around the world. The leveraging of advanced military technology is becoming a norm rather than an exception. It's a concerning trend that underlines the need for international cooperation and diplomatic solutions. The risk of sparking a broader conflict isn't just theoretical anymore. It's a tangible possibility that we need to address proactively. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.